Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Rob Basham. Glad that you're here today. We're continuing on in our series of Daniel, the prophet Daniel's fantastical guide to thriving in Babylon. And I hope you've enjoyed this series up to this point. It's, it's been an exciting series. I love the book of Daniel. I love how it points us to a king. And we see that even in the midst where it seems like there shouldn't be hope, hope is rising. And we've been looking at this man and how he's been living as an exile in a foreign culture, how he's been dealing with the tension, even the hostile reactions to him living out as faith. And we've been looking at the book and we've been looking for lessons on how we can apply how he handled things to our own lives. And we're going to continue doing that today and we're going to jump right in. So we're going to look at Daniel 7 today. Feel free to turn there if you'd like. It's on page 732 in the Pew Bible. Or you can just close your eyes as I read this passage and imagine what in the world is happening in this dream that Daniel is about to receive. Here's the deal. The first six chapters of Daniel that we've gone through have been fascinating and a little bit strange. But they've been actual historical events with an actual kingdom of Babylon, with actual kings and actual historical people. Now we transition to the second half of Daniel and the type of literature we're reading changes as well. We're about to go into biblical apocalyptic literature, which looks very different than the first six chapters. And you thought the first six chapters were weird. Wait till you see what's about to happen. Things are going to get really, really strange. And so here we go. Daniel 7, close your eyes, picture it, read along with me, whatever you'd like to do. Verse 1. Earlier. During the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed. He wrote down the dream and this is what he saw. In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of a great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction. Then four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the others. The first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. As I watched, its wings were pulled off, and it was left standing with its two hind feet on the ground like a human being, and it was given a human mind. Then I saw a second beast. It looked like a bear. It was rearing up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And I heard a voice saying to it, get up, devour the flesh of many people. Then the third of these strange beasts appeared, and it looked like a leopard. It had four birds' wings on its back and it had four heads. Great authority was given to this beast. Then, in my vision that night, I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts and it had ten horns. I was, as I was looking at the horns, suddenly another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. This little horn had eyes like human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. I watched as thrones were put in place and the ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. 
Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session, and the books were opened. I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a while longer. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. He was given authority and honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal and it will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. Apocalyptic literature, don't you love it? (laughs) Here's the deal, it's really not that complicated. I'm gonna break it down for you in the next 24 minutes. I'm gonna tell you which of these beasts is North Korea. I'm gonna tell you which of these beasts is Russia. And I'm gonna tell you which beast is Iceland. Yeah, surprise, right? Who knew, Iceland. I'll tell you how to prepare. Where to get the best land right now for cheap to build your bunker in Oregon? Where to find the best deal on a bucket of supply meals that you can take with you, get the best bang for your buck? I'm gonna unlock unlock some hidden secrets here. For free, today, I'm gonna give you three potential dates that Christ might return. I'm gonna tell you which Hal Lindsey, what, what Hal Lindsey missed in his books. I'm gonna tell you what left behind books to read to sharpen your theology. <laughs> and in the end, you're gonna say thank you. And truth be told, I'm gonna to do none of that. Uh, I'm not even gonna pull out a map and explain to you eschatological terms and explain to you the tribulation. Today, we are not in the classroom. Today, I don't get to teach, I get to preach. In church, this is an important passage. It opens our eyes and it gets our attention. It's not a puzzle that we're trying to figure out right now. Sure, we could sit there and, and, and many people would say that these three or four beasts actually represent kingdoms that have come and, and that prophecy often is multidimensional and there's still a lesson for the future. But today I'm here to preach and let you know that this passage is incredibly vital. It's faith building and it should get our attention. Here's the point I want you to take today. I think it was given to Daniel back then. It was applicable for him. It's applicable for us today. The point is this. While the world is in beast mode, God's original plan is still in place. While the world is in beast mode, God's original plan is still in place. See, church, we are in the time of the beast. We are living in the days where things aren't the way they were intended to be. Injustice abounds. There's abuse, misuse of power. There's greed. Sin is in this world. Many of you have actually stopped watching the news because it's depressing, it's sad. Anxiety rises up in you when you turn it on. Just this week, we saw all of these that's not right moments. I mean, we saw this family of six that was murdered by a cartel near the U.S. border. Kids in their car seats while the car burned in church. I look at that and I say, that's not right. Young moms that have died of cancer, leaving their children behind. And I look at that and I say, that's not right. 
My wife sat just two, three weeks ago with a woman, and when we were visiting the Middle East, a Syrian woman who sat there and told of her story of how her and her, her children were forced to watch the execution of her husband at the hands of ISIS. And I look at that, and I say, that's not right. Kids taking their lives because of the bullying in school, that's not right. And we live in this world where suffering abounds, just as it did in the days of Babylon. And we need to understand how to live in the tension of our time. How do we get through these that's not right moments? How do we deal with that tension? How do we deal with the beastliness of our world while also holding on to the hope of the future we have because of God's original plan? I think Daniel 7 is a roadmap that helps us with this. It lays out for us God's incredible, unchangeable, redemptive plan for humanity. A plan that includes this one they call the son of man who comes on the clouds to the ancient one. This is what we're gonna jump into today and help us grasp this original plan and the fact that we live in a time where the beasts rule. We're gonna turn to our friends at the Bible Project to help us make sense of it. If you read the New Testament, you'll notice that the most common title people use to describe Jesus is the Christ, that is, the Messiah. But surprisingly, Jesus almost never used that word to describe himself. Instead, he called himself the Son of Man. The Son of Man, what does that mean? Well, the phrase comes from an important chapter in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel was an Israelite prisoner of war who was forced to live in the empire of Babylon and work for the prideful, violent king who destroyed his home. That sounds horrible. And while he was living and working in Babylon, Daniel had this crazy prophetic dream. You ready for it? I'm ready. He saw four beasts crawling out of a dark sea, hybrid monster-like animals, each scarier than the one before. And the fourth beast is so mutant, there's nothing to compare it to. And it's violent, leaving death and destruction in its wake. What in the world is this about? Well, he's told that these beasts symbolize violent, prideful kings and their empires. Oh, like the one Daniel's enslaved to. Yeah, and these creatures might seem random to you, but these images are developing an important biblical theme. How humans are these remarkable creatures capable of doing great good and horrible evil. How we can behave like animals. Right. Look at the first pages of the Bible. God creates the beasts of the field and humans together, all from the dust. But then the humans are set apart and given a royal task of being God's image. So humans are like the animals, but called to become much more. Yeah, they're to be God's representatives on earth, ruling on his behalf, like kings and queens. But keep reading, and the humans are deceived by a beast who says that they could be more than just God's partners. Yeah, that they could rule the world on their own terms, which sounds good to them. But God knows this will be a disaster. And so he expels the humans to the realm of the beasts. The partnership is lost. But God makes a promise that one day a human will be born who won't give in to the beast. Rather, he'll overcome and strike the beast while being struck by it. Okay, so for the rest of the biblical story, we're waiting for that human. But instead, in story after story, we find people acting like beasts. Yeah, like in the next story about Cain, who was jealous and angry at his brother Abel. God warns Cain that he's facing a beastly urge called sin, a dark, mysterious kind of evil that consumes humans. But God says that Cain can rule the beast if he chooses. 
but he doesn't rule the beast. He lets this urge devour him, and he becomes a beast. And then after this, Cain's children spread their animal-like violence, and it leads to the founding of a whole civilization known for its beastly pride, the city of Babylon. Okay, Babylon. So fast forward, this is where Daniel is enslaved, having this bizarro dream. Exactly. Now. Aren't they brilliant? How they're able to help us see the entire narrative of the word of God. And we see here that while the world is in beast mode, God's original plan outlined here is still in place. You see, the original plan was corrupted by beasts, by sin, and it's still intact. While we wait for the final fulfillment of this plan, with the second coming of Christ, we live in this tension. We live in this in-between time, in this beastly world where there are keys that are seen here in Daniel 7 that can help us navigate our current Babylon. The first thing that I see here that is important is that while the world is in beast mode, we need to recognize the beast mode within us. We need to recognize the beast mode within us. See, we're part of the problem. We were created to be God's representatives, to rule over animals, and and yet we decided to try to rule on our own terms. That's how the plan started. But beasts are programmed and driven by instinct. Humans are also driven by instinct, but what sets us apart is this amazing thing that we are created in the image of God. We are granted an ability to be reasoned with. We have moral conscience and we have self-control. And I love how the video explains that while we are capable of doing great things, because sin entered the world, we are also capable of doing great evil. We have dark sides. You see, often we exalt our own impulses and our own desires and we go beast mode. The beast mode uh, seen on the individual level, it's seen on corporate levels as well. This is why governments become like beasts, because they are led by people. Often when leaders taste power, they decide to rule on their own terms. They look for security by oppressing others. They look to hold on to power and lean on instinct and not their moral conscience, and they power up. We've seen this throughout Daniel. We saw this with King Nebuchadnezzar. We saw this with King Belshazzar. We've seen this in modern times with Pol Pot and Hitler and their actions create these times where we just look and say, that's not right. You see, we have broken and evil government structures because of people, beastly people. And Daniel here is providing for us a framework to be able to talk about the human condition Because the truth is that anyone, any group, any country, any culture, any empire can become a beast because sin is consuming. For those of us that have put our faith in Christ, we know that we have been declared righteous and we have been declared holy. But our old sinful nature, that beastly mindset on the flesh that used to enslave us and still tries to assert itself, often with more success than we'd like. And we need to be aware of it. The truth is that each of us is on a journey. We're on a journey to keep the beast mode within us in check, choosing not to be driven by desire, choosing not to be driven by appetite. But it's tough because oftentimes we reject God's rule and reign in a specific area of our life and we become beastly. We become less than human. You see, we were all given choices this past week, and we all made decisions. And there were times where we decided to act impulsively, selfishly, instead of following the ways of the Spirit. That time this week when I made that cutting remark, that time when I acted in a passive-aggressive way towards a friend. 
But church, the beauty and the good news in this struggle with the beast mode is that we don't go at it alone. Some of you are tired and stuck in patterns of the beast mode just showing himself, but we don't go at it alone. Galatians 5 tells us that we've been given the spirit, that we have defeated sin. So I say, let your Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. The first thing we need to recognize in this chapter is the beast mode is within us. We are part of the problem. But every time the beast mode shows his face, we get to remember we're not alone and we get to nail it to the cross because of Christ's finished work. The second thing we take from Daniel 7 is another reminder, another reminder that we don't really like to hear. We don't like to talk about it because when the world is in beast mode, you need to understand that as Christ's followers, we are not immune to suffering. We are not immune to suffering. Beastly injustice, death, destruction, corruption are manifested in individuals, governments, and empires, and they cause suffering in the here and now. And when that happens, when the suffering begins to pile up, when the bad things begin to happen and we begin to question things, oftentimes our response is to ask, where is the goodness of God in all of this? Has God left us? Has God not followed through on his original plan and intention? From a human perspective, it often seems as though God has set aside his people, that he has forfeited that original plan because the beast is alive and well. I believe Daniel is actually battling and asking these questions. I believe that he's caught off guard in some ways as the meaning of this vision is revealed in the second half of the chapter. You see, in verse 21, we see that this little horn, this little horn is waging war on God's holy people and winning. The beast is prevailing over the holy people, over the church. God's people are suffering death and persecution and great suffering. And this idea terrified Daniel. He looked at this and said, that does not seem right. And we need to see this and we need to remember that we are not immune to suffering. It is a vital warning for us. As Steve passionately warned last week, there's a danger in, in, in knowing the story of Daniel and the lion's den because we can jump to the conclusion that the big idea of that story is simply this. If you have enough faith, you will be spared from suffering. If you have enough faith, the lion will not come and get you. But church, that's not true. That was not the purpose of that story and that's not how the kingdom of God works. You see, we cannot be surprised by suffering, by these that's not how it's supposed to be moments. They're going to continue to come, and when they do, we need to be able to ask the difficult questions. We need to go to God. It's okay. I release you to ask those questions, to wrestle with God. Why does it seem like your goodness is not here? He can handle those questions. 
Go to him, go to others, but do not stay in that pattern too long because that's the beauty of what Daniel 7 gives us. It gives us hope. It gives us a hope. And so we come out of that pattern and we enter into hope. And those of you that are stuck in that, can I just encourage you, talk to others, start grieving some of the things that have happened to you in life and look for the hope. Look for the future because the truth is that God's original plan is still intact. And sometimes we're going to see vindication on this side of life, but sometimes it's on the other side. This concept of suffering, we need to talk about it. Church, you don't like to talk about it, and I don't like to talk about it, yet we're here, and we need to understand suffering. We need to expect it. One of the reasons we've got to deal with this is because our post-Christian culture doesn't deal with it. You see, they have no good response to suffering. They have no good answers to why we're living in a world where there's all these that's not right moments. You see, the philosophy, the anthropology that they're trying to give us is not a good one. It's not enough. It doesn't answer the questions. This idea that we're born good and society just slowly is corrupting us. But if we can just transform society, if we can just keep the progression going in the right direction, eventually we will overcome. Eventually we will reach that, that hopeful utopia. But church, that is a Western cultural mindset. And honestly, I don't think it, it fits really well with scripture or what we see here in Daniel 7. And we need to do better. Because the reality is, as we see in scripture, that there is evil in the world. People and cultures can become beastly and suffering does and will continue to abound. That's reality. You see, culture doesn't have the answers and they don't know how to suffer well when tragedy comes. But the church does, or at least we should. You see, to be honest with you, I don't think we as the American church know how to suffer either. Church, we need to get this. We need to grasp this. We need to expect suffering ourselves and we should know how to come alongside our culture when suffering does abound. Because we have hope because we are people of faith, because we can find Christ even in the crisis, because we serve a God that suffered. He suffered on the cross and he was able to look forward to the hope that he had. He saw through the thin veil and he saw what would be and that gave him the perseverance to finish the job. We're living in a world where the beast mode is evident because Satan is prowling around. Yes, victory has been secured, but he is still released to be the prince of the air. And sometimes we forget that. He is out there lying, stealing, killing, and destroying. Don't forget that. It's not that God's not good. It's that his final redemptive plan has not been fully completed. And so as we persevere through the already but the not yet. As we live in this time while the beast mode is in operation, we need to expect suffering. We should not be caught off guard by it. Daniel 7 reminds us to recognize that the beast mode is within us, that we should expect suffering. And the final thing that I see here is we find hope in the truth that God's initial plan is still intact because the days of the beast ruling are numbered. Vindication will come. How do we maintain this belief that Jesus is king, that we were singing about over and over this morning? Many of us, we love this book of Daniel because it continues to just push us towards this concept of maintaining hope when it seems there shouldn't be any. And many of us are in that place in our lives. It seems that there should be no hope right now. And yet we're digging down and we're remembering who Christ is and what he did. 
The theologian Wright puts it this way when referring to this passage. He says, the real point is that however long the suffering of the saints may be, it will be temporary and it will be terminated. God is in control and God is the ultimate judge in the court of human history. Church, we hold on to this truth. Personally, with regards to grappling with suffering, the last two years have been difficult for me. Not because of suffering that I've gone through, not because of personal trials or trials of my family or even those close to me, but because as a pastor, I've been called to do a good bit of counseling, a good bit of healing prayer, a good bit of even deliverance work with people. And as I meet with these people that are on this healing journey, this incredible, these incredibly brave and courageous people, I continually am exposed to their histories, to their stories of hardship and abuse and innocence stripped at young ages, to these moments of tremendous, that's not right. And to be honest with you, it has wrecked me time and time again. It has wrecked me. I oftentimes go to my wife and I say, I am so ignorant to how messed up our world is. I am so blessed, but I am so ignorant. And sometimes I just want to walk back into that ignorance and ignore it because it drives me crazy. And oftentimes I leave these, these counseling sessions, these, these times of healing prayer, and I leave with incredible anger. And I go to my office and I shut the door and I weep. And they're not tears of sadness, they're tears of anger. They're tears of anger, and some of it is righteous, and some of it is not. Some of it is me wrestling with the king of kings, saying, how do you let this happen? Where is your goodness in that? But time and time again, I'm able to come out of that cycle because I have people that I can process with, and I have a God that responds to me, and the truth that I hang on to is that vindication will come. Some that have been wronged will see vindication in this lifetime and some on the other side. This season has caused me to hold on to faith. I have a new and fresh understanding of the power and the hope of Christ's return. It has become real to me. I long for his second coming in ways that I did not two years ago. I feel that hope is sincerely rising within me. My eschatology, my theology of Christ's return is no longer only here. It has become real and living and it keeps me going. It is rising up in church. I pray that it does for you as well. Because that is the good news of this chapter. After the destruction, after the suffering, we get a glimpse of this son of man. And we await his return. He's introduced to us in Daniel 7. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Who is this son of man? I love it because in Matthew 26, we see Christ is on trial and he's standing before an entire big group. And this is what he says. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. Jesus replied, you have said it. And then he quotes Daniel 7. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. 
Church, Jesus comes and he plugs himself into this timeline. He plugs himself into this story, into the plan. And God's faithful people, though they end up under the beastly kingdoms for a time, he is here announcing his coming, his death, his resurrection, his vindication. Jesus claims these things and he announces that the plan is still intact. Church, the beast will be slain. We will rule and reign with the Son of Man, with Christ, fulfilling the truth of what we read in Hebrews. Our enemies will be our footstool. The game plan. The game plan. It's still happening, and Christ, the Son of Man, is the game changer. The reign of God, his everlasting kingdom. Creation will be restored and renewed once again to its original plan. And humanity, made in his image, will rule and reign over the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, implementing God's rule within creation. This is the good news. This is our hope. So how do we respond and make this applicable for our lives? Three simple things I want to leave you with, challenge you to do this week. First one. Reflect, where have I been less than human the past few weeks? Where have I gone beast mode? We invite God to search our hearts. On a personal level, where have I or where have you instinctively allowed hatred or despising of neighbors or fellow Christ followers, coworkers to come to the surface? Where have we knowingly or unknowingly perpetuated unjust, ungodly cultural systems like racism in our culture? Where have we let greed, which is a mega beast, take over, causing us to not act in the ways of the spirit? You see, we invite conviction. We invite conviction when we have gone beast mode. And we do, we invite it confidently. We repent of it because we know very well that the son of man came. He did not give in to the beast mode. Instead, he lived a perfect life and he died and he was rose, rose again. And because of his shed blood, when we ask for forgiveness, we receive that forgiveness and we receive the spirit to help us walk in holiness. He's committed to making us new creations. Second challenge for this week, and I don't have a slide, but who might God be inviting you to walk alongside as they suffer. This is a key way that I believe we're called as a church to bring peace to our city. This is, I believe, how we're being called as a church to be a non-anxious presence in our city, to walk with those who are suffering. We walk with those. We offer listening ears. We don't give answers. We simply mourn with those who are mourning and we pray that they experience a transcendent peace and hope and that they encounter Christ through us. So look around who in your network is battling grief, sickness, loneliness, and loss. Would you ask the Lord to point those people out and would you give of your time and would you simply suffer alongside and mourn with those who are mourning? Final thing, would you live in hope of his return by bringing peace in the now? Man, we hold on to that hope of his return and it should spur us to action. You see, through Christ's humility and his service and his self-giving love, he overcame the beast and he encourages us to do the same thing. Church, you have been given authority. 
You have been given authority to bring peace and hope wherever you step in our world, wherever you step in our city. And so I encourage you to take that seriously. And whenever you walk into an area, remember the hope that you have. His return is imminent. Walk into those places in the authority he has given you. Many of you will serve this holiday season. You will take a posture of service and you will give back. Some of you will be grabbing uh, tree giving tags out there. Some of you will be serving with the refugees and you've put together Thanksgiving baskets and you'll bring food for Feed Salem. And can I just encourage you as you care for those on your street, in your neighborhood, as you bring peace to where you step, may you remember his return in the hope that we have in that, this holiday season. Hey, the world is in beast mode, but we don't get to come under it. We recognize the suffering, but we have hope because that original plan is still intact. Christ is coming again. Let's pray. Jesus' suffering is something that many of us know well. There are many in this room that are suffering through trials right now. There is sickness. There are people trying to get through treatment right now. There are some broken relationships. There are things that have been revealed to people in this room that are not right, that have happened in their families. Lord, there's a lot going on in this room. There's a lot of suffering. And I pray that your spirit would come, one of his names, the comforter, and fall even right now on those that are struggling. Lord, those that are asking the hard questions, Lord, where is your goodness in this? Lord, I pray that you would speak to them compassionately. Would you show them and would you allow hope to rise in them? I release hope in Jesus' name. I release patience in Jesus' name. Lord, we declare that you are coming again. Let hope arise. We declare that you are good. You are powerful, son of man. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.